Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey, everybody. I'm Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation. Welcome to the Freshman Foundation podcast, a podcast geared specifically toward the transition from high school to college athletics. My guest today is BJ Merriam, Director of Athletic Compliance at Rutgers University in my home state of New Jersey. BJ is also the founder of the Athlete's Edge, a journal for optimal sport performance. Please welcome BJ to the podcast. Hey, BJ, what's going on? How are you, man? Hey, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to hop on and talk about a subject that I'm passionate about. For sure. There's a lot, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, we've gotten to know each other a little bit here over the last, I guess, month or two. And, um, you know, when I was thinking about, you know, our conversation today, I just realized just so much, you have so much connection to what it is that I'm doing in the, in the different areas that you're working on. And so I just feel like there's so much ground to cover. I'm going to try to try to keep it relatively, um, you know, in, uh, it, within the, within the fences because uh, I could go off the reservation pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> No, the the excitement on my end is matched. You know, I'm fortunate to work in in Rutgers day to day, and you know my my passion is the Athletes Edge Journal and win the mental game. So it's cool when all of it collides. You have so much exciting stuff going on, so it's going to be a great episode. Absolutely, I totally. So I guess to get started, you know, we'll start with the maybe the more. Um, Maybe the more mundane side of things. So tell me about your role as director of compliance at, uh, at Rutgers University. Yeah, so on, on a daily basis, uh, I help Rutgers Athletics, their student athletes, and then their coaching staff work with NCA legislation, whether it be amateurism, benefits, eligibility. I am the go-to liaison for four different programs, working with the student athletes and coaching staff to help them navigate any issues they may have. But also, you know, compliance sometimes gets a bad rep. So we want to make sure that, you know, ultimately we are, you know, the advocate of the student athletes. We're not here to be police officers. We're here to be protectors. And we are a value-added service to our coaches and our student athletes. That's really well said. I don't uh, claim to be an expert on what you know compliance administrators or executives do but that's a really good way to describe it right i think a lot of people when they hear compliance they they, they have a negative kind of immediate reaction viscerally you know all compliance again but like you know you're you're saying hey we're here to help you know so can you just kind of talk about that a little bit more kind of the facilitation end of it like what sorts of things are you ad- advocating for uh specifically in your role day to day yeah absolutely you know uh, we have dealt with a lot of flexibility with COVID and the pandemic. And, you know, we're fighting for different benefits and things that we can bring to our student athletes. So whether it's a flexible interpretation or an NCAA waiver to allow our student athletes to have, you know, a better experience, that's what we're all about. You know, we have some huge topics coming up in January with the NCAA convention with name image likeness um, for student athletes, um, something that's been talked about probably for the last decade. So it's a, a changing landscape and that's why it's so exciting in compliance. But, you know, ultimately we're here to be creative, be innovative, look in the legislation. But at the end of the day, if we say no, it's because we're here to protect that student athlete, that coach or the institution. I like it a lot. So can you talk about compliance, your compliance role as it relates to the recruiting process, right? If we're talking about kind of the transition from high school to college, like what is 
your role in the recruiting process at Rutgers? Yeah, so I work with the Eligibility Center, right? So ultimately, I see all of the prospective student-athletes' information there. I'm making sure that they're going to be final qualifiers for the Division One level, um, making sure that they're going to be final amateurism, um, and then I'm handling all the initial eligibility process on the Rutgers side as well. So typically, I'll do pre-screens, make sure they have the proper courses to be a qualifier, I'll also, when we could have unofficial official visits, unfortunately, we're in a dead period right now, so no one's on campus due to the pandemic, but I would meet with those student athletes, uh, make sure that, you know, they're taking the right courses, make sure that they understand NCA rules and kind of give them a snapshot of what things will look like once they get to campus and, you know, compliance orientation and some education on the roles. How much kind of direct interaction do you have with the student athlete in your role? Honestly, it depends on the staff. Um, so prospective student athletes, some I'm more engaged with than others, um, just depending on how they operate their program. But student athletes, I can tell you once they get here, I'm one of the first faces they see. Um, we have an open door policy. So you know, they're constantly coming in and out of our office. I like to be active and kind of meet athletes where they're at. So I'm going to practices, I'm going to games, we're traveling on the road. So we want to be a familiar, friendly face that we can be approached. And then, you know, we meet with them at least twice a month on it, I mean, twice a semester on a team basis. So um, they're seeing a lot of us. They're, you know, we like to make sure we're there, we're visible, and ultimately they know we're a friend and an ally that is there to help them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds very similar, frankly, to being a coach, whether it's, you know, an athletic coach or mental performance coach, what have you, right? Like building a relationship with those athletes that you serve is critical because they have to be able to trust you. And if you're not in front of them, if you're just kind of this mysterious face behind, you know, a wall or kind of like, you know, the wizard, you know, I think they're going to have an an initial distrust, right? An immediate sort of visceral, I'm not going to trust the compliance guy. You know, he's my enemy versus like, hey, I see him all the time. He's here to help me. Like, I'm going to open up and ask him a question or see if he can help me with this issue, right? Like, I would imagine that's a big part of what you're doing. A hundred percent. Because as you mentioned before, you know, the initial persona or connotation of compliance is like, oh, it's a negative, you know, they're, they're here to tell you no. But as you said, it's all about the relationship, building the relationship and letting them know that you care about them as a student athlete and you're not just there to interpret rules that might be what you do on a daily basis but you really want to support them and you know see that they have a great experience at Rutgers so so tell me how did you how did you get into compliance what was sort of your journey from you know when you left college and you started out professionally how did you get to the compliance a journey is a great word to describe <laughs> it because <laughs> that it was so after college I was a you know college student athlete at a division three institute Love my experience. Just like many people in my generation, I was strapped with some college debt. So I got into sales for a little bit, realized that, you know, my passion to lie into advocating for student athletes. I was fortunate enough to segue into a college soccer coaching position. Um, really loved it, but felt like I was only getting the opportunity to interact with like 25 to 30 individuals on a men's soccer team. Um, wanted to do more. Um, at the same time, there was major infractions at different schools like Syracuse and UNC going on at the time, and it kind of peaked both levels of my interest, right? Like I wanted to be more administrative, interact with more student athletes, but I also thought that I was very ethical and could advocate from the coach's side, right? Because I was a coach, I've experienced, I know what it's like to recruit. So it kind of married the best of both.
both worlds. I was fortunate to get an internship at Bucknell, um, transfer into administration there. Then I worked a few years at the conference office, the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, uh, which gave me my first time full gig in compliance, which was amazing. Um, from there, I knew I wanted to get back on campus because I missed the interaction on a daily basis with student athletes and coaches. Um, so I worked at the University of Pennsylvania for a few years, really liked the Ivy League, liked my time there. Um, then I was fortunate a mentor called me up about a position at Rutgers, my home state. Um, have always been a Rutgers fan and wanted to experience work in the Power Five and got the position and have been with Rutgers for about uh, 18 months now. Excellent. I mean, it's it sounds it sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like you've you've seen a lot of things and you've done a lot of things to get to where you're at. And it sounds like you're in a position that you're really, really excited about for a lot of reasons, personally and professionally. So can you talk about like how your own experience as an athlete kind of led you to where you are, like what, how that influences you as a compliance officer? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I have instant credibility with my student athletes and my coaches because I was in their shoes as a student athlete and then also in their shoes as a coach. But I think just the skill sets that we learn as athletes growing up, whether it be grit, mental toughness, commitment, hard work, those are all things that I apply to my job on a daily basis. And I think that's what makes me good and the ability to network with others and build relationships relationships. Uh, one opportunity has kind of led to the next just through networking. So I feel very blessed of where I am in my career and very fortunate to be here. Very cool. Uh, you know, like I said at the, you know, sort of the outset, like I think that we have a lot of things like individually have in common in terms of the way we think about things, which I always like to have conversations. I like to have conversations with a lot of people, but uh, it, <laughs> I, I like to have conversations with like-minded people a lot because it's just an easier conversation to have, you know, just truthfully. And so maybe that's also a good, maybe a good segue into kind of to talk a little bit about your project with the journal, because I know those kind of fundamental um, principles or or mental elements, if you will, are kind of underpinning the journal project that you're working on. Can you kind of tell the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah. So the background on the journal is actually when I was a sophomore in college, uh, I tore my PCL, LCL, and MCL and took me through a dark time, was dealing with depression, anxiety, um, just because ultimately I couldn't play my sport that I grew up playing just like many athletes. And, you know, I think a lot of athletes go through those challenging times of finding their identity. Um, usually it happens when sport is done, when you, you graduate from college, but mine happened a little bit earlier. And through that time, I found, uh, you know, positive psychology skills, whether it be reflection, meditation, uh, goal setting, and just really loved it. And it changed me. It helped me with my recovery. You know, the recovery for my injury is typically, you know, 16 to 18 months. I was back within eight months playing the next season because of hard work, but also I think largely because of mental performance skills. Um, so always loved it during that time period. And, you know, as a coach, I like implementing it with my student athletes um, and then getting the compliance. I didn't get to use it as much, uh, but I saw it rising. I think the MBA requires a mental performance coach uh, for every single team. I believe, you know, power five programs are hiring a lot more mental performance coaches in-house. So that trend was just moving along. So I thought to myself, I love this. Um, I have a master's in education and took some uh, psychology courses courses during that time period, how can I merge my two passions? And ultimately, I came up with the mental performance, the athlete's edge journal with my co-founder, 
And it's a positive psychology journal that is for mental performance, goal setting, and basically it brings a mental performance coach's attitude to everyone. You know, unfortunately, not everybody can afford a mental performance coaches and it doesn't work out, but you can develop this skill set um, through the journal that we've created. Yeah, that, I mean, there's a lot there for me to kind of react to. So I guess the first question I'll ask is to kind of go back to your experience in college. When you started to kind of uncover or explore those positive psychology, those mental performance skills that were helping you cope with your injury, were those things that you kind of discovered on your own or did you have somebody helping you through the process? Yeah. So fortunately I had Google. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, during my time when my injury was there, you know, sports performance and mental performance just wasn't widely available. There wasn't a lot of coaches down there. It was more of a niche industry. Um, There was definitely articles and books that applied. So it was all through my self journey of researching and finding it. And, you know, one article kind of led to the next article. And, you know, I just developed the passion for it and knew that it was helping me as an individual and knew that it would help me in the future as well. I'm very, very much the same way in terms of curiosity. I mean, in some ways, you know, as a mental performance coach now, part of me, you know, kind of instinctively thinks I wish, you know, somebody would have been there helping you. But at the same time, like, I think there's something to be said for being self-motivated to find those answers on our own, right? And I think the thing I, I kind of want to tie to the really the theme of the podcast is I think journaling is something that's really valuable for young people. And what I find is a lot of times they're not comfortable talking about the things that are they're thinking and feeling because they feel like they're going to be judged. Even if they trust you, right? You're still you're still an adult. They're still, you know, an adolescent, you know, maybe they're a young adult, you want to call them that. But a lot of times they're not ready to kind of address what they're thinking and feeling with other people. The beauty of the journal is, is that they can write down their thoughts in a way that there's no one looking at it, right? It's totally for them. And I, I try to use journals with my athletes all the time. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but I'm also happy to say that I, you know, I gave your, you know, I have a few of your journals here and I gave one of them to one of my athletes, just sent it out yesterday, as a matter of fact, that we're going to work on it together. So uh, he's a kid that I feel like has a hard time communicating verbally, uh, but I think he can really benefit from investing in the process of journaling and really building that self-awareness without necessarily feeling like there's a threatening influence, you know, or someone judging him for what he's kind of, you know, going through. No, that's awesome. And I echo your thoughts, like, you know, a journal is just such a great way to express emotions and ultimately the athlete says journal which we created um it's a it's a form journal so it prompts you so you don't have to be super creative you can just get in the habit each day and the goal of it is only to take five ten minutes of your time we realize that athletes are busy going from practice to school whatever commitments they may have but you know it's three to five minutes in the morning three to five minutes at night and then we have an open section in the end if you want to engage and kind of you know expand on what your daily pages did. Um, And the cool thing is like, we want to partner with mental performance coaches like yourself, Mike, because uh, we see it as a great leave behind tool, but also a great practice tool. So as you said, you have a, you know, an athlete that isn't great at speaking on their emotions. Well, this is a great other opportunity for them to explore those emotions. And it's a conversation piece for you to check in on a weekly or monthly basis to say, Hey, you know, what's been going on in your journal? What have you been committed to? What have you been reflecting on? What have your goals been? Um, So it's a great tool for someone in your space to help athletes. Absolutely. I think the form journal is definitely uh, advantageous, right? With prompts for young people. Cause sometimes, you know, if you give them a blank notebook, you know, even that is maybe 
too daunting for them to sit down and think about like, what's going on? What am I feeling? Like I have to kind of face this, but if you give them the prompts and the things to do, like with yours, you know, it's, you know, positive affirmations, positive statements. It's small wins for the day. It's just setting a goal for the day. What are you grateful for? Right. How did the day go at the end of the day? Right. And I, it's exactly what I, I told my athlete. It's going to take you no more than 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes, a couple minutes in the morning, a couple minutes at night doesn't have to be overcomplicated. There's so many benefits to that, right? Not only are you getting things off your mind and you're putting them on the paper, but if you do it enough, if you practice it enough, you're collecting data about yourself, right? You're, you're understanding patterns. Like, why did I have a good day? Why did I have a bad day? What happened when I didn't do what I said I was going to do? That's what I try to impress upon them. It's like, it's, it doesn't matter what you put in there. It just matters that you, you do it, right? Because even if it's what you perceive to be a bad day, when you look back on it, you're probably having more bad, uh, good days than bad. And you can start to build confidence and saying, hey, you know, there's good stuff happening. I'm progressing. I have information to learn from developing a growth mindset. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I would agree, and, and like I like to say, there are no bad days, just bad moments, right? And I think the the format of this journal, you talked a little bit about the pregame, about gratitude, about positive effort affirmations, visualization, that's all in the morning, but at night you're recapping the wins for the day. So, you know, before your head hits the pillow, you're ultimately replaying all the successes that you had day, which is a great feeling for you. And then you're also looking forward to what you have the next day. So it's just reframing your mind constantly and making you more intentional about your daily life, um, which will ultimately lead to more self-discipline and hopefully success. Exactly. Self-discipline, I think that's probably one of the hardest things that I struggle with as a mental performance coach is impressing upon my athletes, my young athletes who are mostly high school age, the benefits of a good habit, benefits of, of self-discipline, not so much the content of what you're doing, but just getting in that act every single day, practicing these mental skills which are the same as physical skills, but they're definitely, you know, it's definitely not always viewed that way, right? Like athletes want to go out, they want to practice, they want to do, they want to weight train, they want to run, they, you know, do all those things physically, but they don't want to put in the time mentally. I mean, what's your kind of, what's your view on that? Or what's your experience with that as a coach or an athlete? Yeah, it's funny, like the mental performance skills or their soft skills, they're not as sexy, right? At the end of the day is like doing push-ups or putting extra um, training session, you know, whether you be a soccer player or a baseball player to get some extra, you know, reps in the cages or extra footwork, right? Um, that makes it so easy. But you realize that eventually you're going to be exhausted and you can't push your body anymore, but there is an opportunity to push your mind. Um, so if you can enhance your mind, you can take your game from here to here without even touching a ball or, you know, doing any extra reps because, you know, there's this whole other portion of your game that's untouched. There's a game, you know, I like to say like about 90% mental, right? Like you can have the skill set, but if you're not mentally there, it's going to be hard for you to be successful and achieve your goals. So there's just so much untapped potential in mental performance that often goes overlooked. Absolutely. I mean, you're not going to get an argument for me. I mean, that's what I, that's what I, <laughs> that's what I do for a living every day is trying to, to, to impress upon 
frankly, anybody, right? Like, you know, we talk about sports psychology, we talk about mental performance in the sport context, but it really does apply to all aspects of life. And I think that for college athletes or high school athletes who are getting into these good habits, these are things that will carry on well beyond their athletic career and being able to, you know, it's funny, I, I took the journal this morning, I started looking at it some more to kind of get a better sense of it for myself. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to use it, right? Like I actually wrote in the journal this morning, like I wrote my name in there, like I'm going to use this journal to get myself into the habit. Like, no, I've done free form journaling. I've, I meditate and I go kind of on and off. But, you know, for me, like, yeah, I need to write down the three things I'm grateful for. I need to kind of, you know, talk to myself in a positive way to try to shift my thinking. Like I'm not, you know, just because I do it for a living doesn't mean I'm, I'm immune from, you know, immune to kind of the, the roller coaster of emotions, the ups and downs that anybody would have. And so I feel like it, it could has the application well beyond, you know, just sport, you know, the corporate athlete, if you will, that's a phrase I hear a lot. So is that something that you've, you've thought about, you know, in terms of applying it beyond athletics? Yeah, absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, we developed this for athletes because we felt like there wasn't really um, anything that was amazing in this niche. You know, you'll see some, if you Google it, you'll see some spiral brown notebooks, you'll see some, you know, various tools, but nothing that was complete. Um, So we wanted to create this for athletes, but I like to tell my friends, my old, you know, teammates that this is for anyone that's athletic minded, right? So if you want to win in the game of life, if you want to be the best salesperson in your company, if you want to be a great leader and a CEO, the Athlete's Edge Journal, which I have right here, is for you. You know, I keep my copy and I do it every single day. And my wife, you know, will realize when, you know, I'm just in a bad mood or grumpy. She's like, did you journal today? Did you meditate? Did you, you know, w- what did you do to take care of yourself ultimately? So, you know, even me, who's in their, their mid thirties, I'm doing it on a daily basis because it's just making me a better holistic person. Um, so, so the short answer to your question is yes. Yes, it's for everyone, but we just love the connotation and you know what it can bring to athletes and you know specifically what it could be bring to a team, right? I think truly, if you can get your entire team on this type of tool with a mental performance coach, it's going to expand your culture. It's going to expand the camaraderie of the teammates, and you know the, the potential is limitless. Yeah, I had an image of a, a team full of athletes, regardless of sport, with their gear on, walking around with their journals in their hands. You know, like I agree with that, right? Like I, th- I think it's. I think a lot of times, whether it's meditation, journaling, anything related to any sort of mental, you know, skill development, I think there's still, unfortunately, a kind of a, a stigma, right, to the idea of you know I'm doing this. I'm you know, I'm carrying around a journal, you know, what's wrong with you? Or, you know, you meditate, that's weird. You know, I guess there's still a lot of that that goes on, which kind of boggles my mind. But at the same time, you know, it's just, it's just a lack of awareness. And I think, you know, the more that people like you can be out there, you know, sort of talking about the benefits of this and saying, hey, I do this too. uh, I think it just goes a long way to kind of spreading the word and building that acceptance of, you know, the things that we can do to take care of ourselves, to take care of our mental well-being, you know, all those things. I I think it's just so, so important. As a follow-up, I'm curious. So how did you develop the contents of each day's journal, right? Right. The elements, the like what, where, how did you come up with that, those prompts? Like what, what was that process like? Yeah. So as I said, I have a master's degree and took some sports psychology courses there. So um, that kind of gave me a good blueprint. Um, and then fortunately work with at Penn, I sat through some, um, you know, their positive psychology department did some in-services and conferences for our athletic department. So I got to, you know, kind of see what they pitched and, you know, how that helped their athletes. So that was great. And then, you know, I utilized coaches um, that I knew in my network and athletes that I knew in my network 
network and kind of just pick their brain on questions. Uh, there was multiple drafts. This final copy certainly wasn't the only copy. Um, so then we finally got to you know a product that we thought that was concise enough, number one, because we wanted to be concise, but also expansive enough to talk about gratitude, to talk about daily quotes, affirmations, visualization, and then victories and goal setting that, you know, we felt like those were the right tools to help an athlete succeed in a journal. I I think it does a really good job of encapsulating a lot of important concepts in a very concise way, you know, on a daily basis. So like for me, like I, I just find that simplicity, you know, with any of my clients, but particularly young ones, the simpler you can make it, the more straightforward you can make it, the easier it's going to be to get, you know, to use the word compliance, to get them to be compliant and to get them to, to do the work so it doesn't seem overwhelming. And I think that that's a lot of times mental performance is viewed as uh, kind of an extra or a, a nice to have, but not not something you have to do every day. It's just sort of like gravy. And that's the thing that falls off. And I really try to impress upon them, hey, this has to be a part of what you're doing every day. Otherwise, you're just going to lose that that edge because you're not practicing. And the journal helps you do that. Absolutely. And like kind of looking back at myself as a young athlete, I wish I had someone like you or wish I had a tool like this to help me because often at that time you're young and kind of influenced by your friends and your friends aren't doing it, then, you know, maybe you won't do it right at the end of the day. But, you know, if your parents invest in a mental performance coach or a tool that's going to help you, you can definitely see the improvement that you're making. And the cool thing about our journal is that it's for four months long, which is a typical season. So three to four years from now, you can go back and look through all the obstacles, all the setbacks you had, the the bad moments, the the big wins, and you can look at that snapshot and maybe it's going to help you solve a problem or get you through an experience that you're currently going through um, and reframing it, say, oh, I've already been there. I've already accomplished this. I've overcome this and I can get through this time period. Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of what I was getting at before. And I think you said it better than I did, but yeah, you're collecting that data to see those patterns to say like, Hey, I've been through this before. Let me go back and look at my, you know, my journal to say like, I've already gotten through this, right. Which is that's such a big part of developing confidence, right? I talk about this with athletes all the time. Probably the biggest thing that drives confidence is the fact that you've actually done something before. And it's amazing that the brain will take you to the negative, but it won't allow you to go back to the positive, right? But if you can remind yourself, hey, I did this three months ago and I got through it and here's how I succeeded, that's going to boost your confidence in the current, you know, in the current moment to say, I can do this again versus emphasizing the negative and saying, there's no way I'm going to be able to solve this problem. And I just, I, I love the power of that to be able to go back and reflect on something you did before to use that as a, as a way to kind of bring up your confidence in the present. Absolutely. You know, you, you said it perfectly. You know, you got to feed the positive. Your mind will go where you let it go. So if you're constantly feeding your mind positivity, um, success, goal achievement, positive affirmations and self-talk, that's where your mind's going to go and it's going to take you on an upward trajectory. However, you know, if you let your mind think those automatic negative thoughts, it's going to take you in the wrong direction. Well, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to, if this is going to put you on the spot, but I, I think it's interesting. So 
when I was preparing to send out my journal, your journal, my copy of your journal to my, to my athlete the other day, I just, you know, I, I, I thought about him, you know, one of the things I'm really cautious or very diligent about is making sure that the, the interventions that we, you know, a term we would use in sports psychology, the, the kind of the strategies that we use with athletes are tailored, right? It's not for me, it's not one size fits all. It can't be. And I was thinking about the affirmation piece of it specifically as it relates to this particular athlete, because, you know, I was like, well, is the affirmation piece going to work from him for him? Because I, I generally kind of see him as somebody who's a little bit self-conscious, maybe a little bit challenged in the self-esteem, kind of arena. And I feel like, well, let me, let me look into this a little bit more. And one of the things I found about affirmations is, is people who have low self-esteem in general per research, you know, affirmations could have the uh, effect of maybe having a negative impact on them because they're telling themselves stuff that's really positive, but they don't actually believe it. What I instructed this athlete to do is to say, hey, come up with a positive affirmation, but be realistic about it, right? You don't have to say something that you don't believe, say something that you can't, that you can believe or something that you kind of think about as something that's achievable rather than kind of setting this pie in the sky goal on affirmations. Like what's uh, I guess I, I'm just going to ask you, like, like, how do you react to that as somebody who's kind of really a big believer in affirmations and what that kind of means for the journal itself? I think it's twofold. I think ultimately you want to start realistic. And, you know, even if it's like, I am a good sibling, I am dedicated to my craft because I work out every day. So whatever those might be, those affirmations, be realistic and, you know, things that are going to make you feel better about yourself holistically and utilize those. And then I'm a big fan of like believing it into existence and manifesting it. Um, So I think if you put it out there and you tell yourself enough about it and it's realistic, it's going to happen or or, you know, good things are going to come from it. So I, I think the key to it all is to be realistic. And, you know, I don't know what that athlete's going through. And I don't know the self-talk they're, they're you know, utilizing with themselves. But all, as long as they're framing it to be positive and realistic, I think it only can help them because they're writing it down. They're committing to it. They're being intentional to it. And that's going to stick with them for the rest of the day. Yeah. And I think one of the things that the, the journal does specifically is it asks the user to identify an accountability partner, which I think is a really important part of any process, right? Is having somebody hold you to account for what you're doing. But I also think in this case, right, to talk about that affirmation piece, right? Like if you have an accountability partner, somebody who's seemingly invested in your success through this journaling process, then you probably trust that person enough to talk to them about the things that you're writing in the journal, right? At a certain level. So, you know, they may be able to level set or check you and say, Hey, is that realistic? Or what do you think about that? Or how do you feel? Right? So can you talk about kind of how you view the accountability partner in, in the process of athletes Edge journal? Yeah, I think it's so crucial. Ultimately, you know, we can't be left on our own Island. You know, if, if you don't have a accountability partner, you know, can this work for you? Absolutely. Are you going to get the most of it? I don't think so. Um, I think that the, the best one would be a mental performance coach, right? Because you're skilled, trained, and have the strategies to help our athletes navigate it. But if you don't have that, um, the accountability partner can be a teammate, right? Maybe you and your teammate buy this journal or tool, um, and you guys hold each other accountable. Maybe it, it's a parent or a sibling that is in a dynamic relationship, or maybe it's just your coach, right? Um, so it could be 
a variety of people um, depending on the circumstance. But ultimately, it's important to have someone making sure you're accountable, you're staying disciplined, you're realizing those you know victories you're having, you're pumping in those positive affirmations, and you're you know moving towards your goal. And you have someone to talk about the obstacles, right? You know that's why we have the game notes to talk about. You know some of the times we do fail, or some of the times fear does get the best of us. Um, we can't just kind of let them go by because if they continue to go by, then they're going to build on top of each other. You know, ultimately we have to be able to express them, be empathetic to those failures and then see how we can do better next time. Yeah. I, I, and I love that there's a, a section in the journal to kind of write down free form what you're thinking and feeling, right? Because that's, that's part of the journaling process. If you're comfortable enough doing that, then I think that there's a lot of value to tie that back to, you know, the daily entries, you know, to say like, Hey, what was, what was the context around what happened today, right? Why didn't I achieve my goal? I had a really challenging day. Here's why. Like, I think that helps too. Sometimes I think we, you know, any athlete, any person, frankly, kind of can get down on ourselves without giving ourselves the compassion, having the compassion for ourselves to say like, hey, these were all the circumstances around the day. Like, maybe it just, you know, maybe it wasn't my fault, I guess is, is the point I'm getting at, right? And to be able to recognize that and use the space to write down what it is you're thinking and feeling. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that's a good segue. And you touched on it a little bit earlier, just talking about the stigma of mental health and everyone being able to talk about it easily, you know, the game notes is a section to be vulnerable, to put out, you know, what you're going through. Um, it's, it's a section to cast your ego aside. You know, I think it's a society as a whole. Um, it's something we need to be more comfortable as being vulnerable with each other. Um, you know, we're in a global pandemic right now. People are going through really challenging times and, you know, especially high school athletes and college athletes, right? Like some of them lost seasons. They've lost the ability to connect with their mentors and coaches. They've also lost time with their friends and teammates. So this is, this is a struggle, but the reason why we think this is a perfect time to launch this tool is because it's needed, right? Everybody needs to work on their mental skills. And it's one thing when, you know, at the end of the day, when someone asks you like, how'd you get better throughout the pandemic? Besides like shooting hoops in your driveway because you couldn't play basketball um, with competitions or go to practices, you can say, you know, I've journaled, I've made myself better um, with the mental skills. You know, that's what I'm going to take away from it. So what's that positive that you can take during out of this time period instead of dwelling on all the negatives? That's certainly something that I am adamant about communicating to my athletes is, hey, look in the look at the good side of this, right? Look at look for the silver lining, look for the opportunity in in the challenge. And I think that's not always the easiest thing to do, but I think it's always there, right? It's always there if we really push ourselves. And I think that's where accountability comes, comes into the forefront, you know, have somebody to kind of challenge you to say like, is it really that bad? Uh, a lot of times it's not as bad as we make it out to be, but maybe just, can you talk about like now just where you're at with the project, you know, like in terms of, you know, kind of where you're at in terms of, you know, the launch, the funding, you know, what that looks like now for you and just the where you're looking to go with it? Yeah, absolutely. So as far as the launch, we launched it in November. Uh, we launched it through a Kickstarter, which is like a viral marketing platform. Um, we were very fortunate and blessed to have a lot of support and uh, we were fully funded. Our goal was $10,000 and we raised $10,000. A lot of, uh, you know, people go on Kickstarter and organizations and businesses go on there to fund their project and their product. Um, but fortunately for us, we already invested in it. So we had the journal. So we're currently shipping and fulfilling our orders from our Kickstarter. Um, now we've shifted sales to our website. So anybody can go on winthementalgame.com and buy themselves a copy of the Athlete's Edge journal. But we're also, you know, trying to work with mental performance coaches and sport coaches to implement this with their teams as well. So there's the, the retail 
side of the business, but there's also the bulk order business where, you know, we're becoming an asset and a tool to organizations out there that have mental performance coaches or have coaches that believe in mental performance skills. Yeah. I mean, I believe in, you know, what you're doing certainly. And I'm, I'm excited about sharing the journal with my athletes because I think that to kind of go back to kind of the beginning, right? The theme of the podcast, you know, I feel as though if I'm helping, I'm trying to help high school athletes prepare for the transition to college athletics, the sooner they have a plan and approach to their mental skills development, you know, before they go into an environment like college, like you said, it's it's totally different, right? You're on your own. In most cases, you're living on your own. You may have to deal with things like injuries or breakups or whatever it is. You're on your own. You're not home with your family, your friends. You're in a different place. It can be really, really challenging, right? But if you have an approach to dealing with those, you know, challenges mentally before you even get to college, you're so much, theoretically, you should be so much better off when those things happen because you've already found a way to work through it or you've had a practice in place that will help you kind of manage those challenges. Absolutely. You know, you are light years ahead of the game. If you already know how to cope with your emotions, you already have tools in your arsenal to succeed. Um, We've talked about it on personal conversations, you know, going back as a student athlete, going back as a coach, our freshmen that come on campus, it's just such a transition, right? You're you're learning how to, you know, thrive away from your parents for the first time. Um, You have completely new teammates that you've never played with before. Um, You have completely new coaches that might have recruited you to the institution, but, you know, you haven't operated under a practice with them. You haven't been in their team meetings. So it's just such a different immersion when it's academic, social, and athletic um, to kind of grasp your head around. And unfortunately, it takes a lot of freshmen a couple months to, to figure it out where, you know, if you're someone who is preparing for this, whether it's with a mental performance coach or you're just strategizing on your own for a couple of months and kind of, you know, creating a plan on how you're going to attack it and how you're going to be the best version of yourself. You're going to be ahead of the game and you're going to acclimate to that setting a lot faster. I like what you said, academic, social, and athletic, right? Because that's the way I think about it. Frankly, you know, when I'm thinking about preparing athletes for the transition, those are really three very big things, pretty much covers, you know, everything, right? Like social, making new friends, adjusting to a new environment, responsibilities, academics, time management, you know, the athletic piece of it, right? The time management piece of that, but also the the dynamics with coaches, communications. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. And that shift from being home with somebody maybe to drive you somewhere or tell you where to go, when to go, what to do helping you through stuff, giving you money, whatever it is, right? That happens when you're home with your parents and and your family and then moving on to face all those challenges on your own. It can be really, really traumatic. It was for me and I wasn't even an athlete in college. You know, I was traumatized. I it was the first year of college was by far the hardest year of my life, I think. And I didn't even have the benefit of being an athlete, or I didn't have that challenge, the challenges that come with that. So yeah, I mean, to to just prepare for that, to like think about it, be aware and understand what you could be doing to get yourself ready for it is so huge. Cause I think if we think about college athletics and you're in it, right? You're in a big 10 university where college athletics is a driver, right? It's a revenue driver. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a identity for the university, 
when you come on campus as a freshman, like the goals, I would imagine, right? The objectives change a lot, right? You go from being a high school athlete to a college athlete, wins and losses matter, money matters, it becomes more of a business. And that might be something that, you know, an athlete's just not ready to deal with because they're so used to being star in their high school. They didn't have that same feel or pressure. You know, I would have to imagine at a place like Rutgers, like you see freshmen come in, like you said, and they're, they're maybe not ready to, you know, for what's about to hit them. Absolutely. You know, no matter what, no matter if you were the star in your high school team and you were all state and the new New Jersey player of the year, or, you know, you've come from a nationally ranked club team, you're still the new kid on the block and you're still, you know, proving yourself at the collegiate level. And especially at Rutgers in the big 10, you know, that's a fast jump to, you know, figure out new teammates to figure out your format of play and to achieve and excel at the highest level as a freshman is, is daunting task. Um, and going back to the academic, the social, and then the athletic, like they all need to be interwoven, right? Like at the end of the day, if you know, you're not performing well in the classroom, you're missing study halls, you're missing tutors, then obviously that's going to lead to a decline in your athletic space because, you know, your coaches are going to be on you about that because that's part of the commitment. You know, socially, if you're not getting along with your team, you think you're going to go out on the pitch and, you know, play your best on the field if, you know, you're not making relationships and bonding as part of the team culture. So it's all so connected. And, you know, in the transition from freshman year, it's just so much on a student athlete. Yeah, I think that team piece too is a is probably one that's overlooked I think a lot I, I would imagine right I can't really speak for freshmen who come in but you know I think when high school kids think about their transition to college I would imagine most of what they're thinking is very positive frankly you know like hey this is going to be great I can't wait to get there I can't wait to go and then they get there and it's like oh I maybe I don't I don't know my teammates. Maybe I don't get along with them, right? Like I didn't realize this was going to be 40 hours a week of a grind. Like I don't like it. I'm not playing like all those things, all that stuff matters. And like, there's so much to kind of process and absorb in that jump and just being able to kind of work through it is so critical. I just to go back to the journal, I feel like having that, that practice in place when you step on campus could be a really valuable tool for any freshman who's coming in and and just trying to kind of get cope day by day and put themselves in, in the best position to succeed. Absolutely. And kind of going back to to help our listeners and anybody who's going through the recruiting process right now, you know, early recruiting is so big and the NCAA has changed a lot of legislation to kind of curtail the early recruiting. And unfortunately, a lot of the the recruiting is going on right now is in a virtual space because of the dead period. Um, Just remember at the end of the day, um, you might be getting recruited by the institution, but you are also recruiting the institution, right? Um, So you really need to be diligent that this is somewhere that you want to be. So I encourage you to take a camp, to take visits when you can, to interact with the student athletes on their team, to get to know their coaching staff as much as you can, because ultimately you're investing at least four years there to be on their campus, to be a part of their program. So you need to do your due diligence and recruit the institution as well. It's so interesting. You know, I've heard that consistently across the guests I've had on this uh, podcast fit, right? What's the fit, right? Not picking a school based upon the optics or the prestige or what other people are going to think, really being proactive in the process and assessing the fit, right? And that includes reaching out to coaches, communicate with coaches, asking good questions, right? And I think that that's something that, frankly, a lot of younger people are not necessarily comfortable with because they've never really had to do it before. It's been done for them. And I think that that's 
you know, something that can be worked on before anybody steps on campus and, and taking the opportunity in the recruiting process to really build up that skill of being proactive and, you know, kind of advocating for yourself, right? Being an advocate for yourself and really finding that fit that works for you rather than letting the process be dictated to you as an athlete. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think you should definitely bring your parents along with you when you go on those visits. I think they can be big assets. Obviously, they're more mature. They've been through the process before. Um, they know how to connect. But you should also be invested in those conversations with the coaching staff. You know, when I was a coach, uh, we'd had prospective student athletes come into our office, chat with us. They wouldn't do any of the talking. The parents would do all the talking, which was at sometimes like a red flag. I'm like, well, we didn't hear from that individual at all during our meeting. Like, how are they going to fit? How are they going to gel the team? How is the relationship going to be with their, our staff? So I would encourage the prospective student athletes out there to, you know, take an active role in that process when they're on campuses and when they're talking with recruits. Definitely have your parents there as a support as a, you know, 16 to 17 to 18 year old uh, young man or women. I'm sure it's a daunting task to talk to college coaches and go through the process. Um, so that support system is needed, but definitely be active participant in those conversations. So I think most of what we've talked about today has been really centered around the athlete, which I, I love that conversation because I think that they, as young people, probably have the biggest learning curve. And, and that's really who my audience, I think, is in, in many ways because those are the people that I coach. But my clients are also the parents. And so f from your perspective, you know, in the various roles that you have, have in your experiences, like what would be your advice to parents in the process? Yeah, I would just be advocates and champions of your son or daughter at the end of the day. Um, I would let them explore the process, um, learn for themselves, be there to, you know, guide them and direct them through the process. Because at the end of the day, Day. Um, if you're way too hands-on, then your son or daughter might really struggle when they have independence and go to college for themselves. Um, so be a support system, be there to, you know, help them ask the good questions, to reflect on their visits, um, to reflect on what they really want out of a college experience. Um, so at the end of the day, they're there to be a champion and an advocate and a guide. Excellent. I think that's really, that's really good advice. So as we, as we wrap up, uh, a couple more questions. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to kind of share with, with the listeners? No, I think we covered a lot, Mike. We, did. <laughs> we touched on a lot. Um, no, I'm just really excited to be here. I think what you're doing with the Freshman Foundation is amazing. I think it's a tool that that's needed in this you know industry that we work in. I'm excited of what we have going on at Rutgers, but also I'm excited about the Athletes Edge Journal and where it's going. Because as I said before, um, I think the athletic mental performance space needs this. Um, I think more high school, college, and professional athletes need these tools. And as I mentioned, not everybody can invest in a mental performance coach. So this is a great opportunity to expand your thinking, um, work on a different skill set, and just become a more successful version of yourself. So if you had to, if you had to leave the listeners with just, you know, one point of emphasis, one thing that you think is the most important thing uh, that we talked about, like, what would you, what would you say? Yeah, I think uh, just a positive, upbeat attitude at the end of the day. I think that can take you in a lot of places in life, um, whether it's being positive about your craft on a daily basis, positive about your small wins, but just seeing the positive in each situation. Um, that doesn't mean you have to always be positive, right? Let's be realistic. We all go through tough times, but if you can find the the good in every aspect, like hunt the good stuff, what we talked about earlier, it's going to help you be a more successful individual. 
And I think one thing that we talked about offline was like a, a book that would help people too. The, the one book I wanted to recommend was The Training Camp by John Gordon. He reads, writes The Energy Bus that a lot of people have probably read. It's probably his most famous book, but The Training Camp, I think, would be a great one as well because it, it tells the story of a young man that's transitioning, in this case, um, from college to the professionals, not high school to um, college. But ultimately, um, it goes through its ups and downs and just kind of finding himself and his identity through this experience. And I think that would be perfect for a lot of your listeners or um, the parents of the student athletes to help them, you know, help their student athletes during this time period where they're growing and developing. That's a great recommendation. I've actually read that book and I, it was a while ago, it was years ago, but I, it's an easy read, but it's a great story, right? It, and, but it communicates those lessons of how to make it through kind of those ups and downs and those transitions. So I love it. That's a, that's a great suggestion. So I guess to wrap up, like you, I, you mentioned the website address before, where can, um, where can the listeners find, find your stuff? Yeah. So um, we're on all the social media platforms so they can find us. Um, I think our Instagram handles win mental game, but if you search win the mental game on Facebook or Instagram, you'll find us or Twitter. Um, and then win the mental will have different tools and resources and more information about our journals and, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I would love to connect and, you know, help you on your way or help you with any issues you're going through. Excellent. BJ, I can't thank you enough for, for being a guest here. I always enjoy talking to you and it was just a fun conversation. I hope we can do it again in the future. Mike, I echo those sentiments. Uh, it was a blast. <laughs> so we'll have to do it again and uh, best of luck to you and enjoy the holiday season. Thanks. Same to you and your family. All right. Bye, Mike. Take care. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.